Teacher by Vaughan Roberts. Right turn of phrase there, isn't it? Salvation by the Sea. Very good, you're on, you're on track. That's, yeah, that's right. Fantastic. Uh, Father's Day joke, very good. Okay, how about we pray and ask for mercy on you and me and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great opportunity to hear these words, uh, these words of your salvation uh, from millennia ago. I pray today here in Australia, in a, in a classroom, in a school, uh, that you might speak to us powerfully, uh, that you might challenge and encourage us to live with you as our God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is, it is Father's Day. I wasn't actually intending to do the dad joke, but maybe that's just a genetic problem that I have. So there you go. Hey, uh, do, do any of you have any stories about your dad fixing things? Can you think of some stories of uh, your dad fixing things? Uh, now, some of those stories will be glorious triumphs, no doubt. Uh, wonderful things that, got, that were wrong, that got sorted out. Uh, some of them you might be shaking your head and going, I really wish my dad hadn't tried to fix that. Um, I thought I might tell you a couple of uh, quick stories about my dad uh, fixing things that were, uh, were pretty interesting situations that we found ourselves in as a family. Now, the first of those situations was we're in a, a tiny uh, tin boat, a, uh, a little aluminium tinny um, as our family, and we're going through Kakadu uh, up north, uh, northern Australia. And we're in the little tinny, and we're kind of motoring up a little backwater there. I, I honestly can't remember what we were doing there, but anyway, as we come around a bend, uh, we see lying on the bank... A crocodile that is the same length as our boat. Dad quietly kills the engine. And we drift next to this ginormous crocodile sitting on the side of the, of the, of the, uh, the, the thing. Dad quietly whispers to us, can everyone please lie down quietly in the boat? And uh, he reaches down and gets the oar for, that's just lying there and very, very quietly paddles the boat around in a little circle. And then once it's turned around and a little bit further away, he absolutely gunned the engine and we shot out of there. And I'm like, Dad, you were very calm in that situation. Dad, fixing a difficult situation. Another situation, we moved from Darwin down to Sydney. And my dad had a yacht. And so we're out sailing in the yacht. And the wind starts getting big. And that generally just means we're in for more fun sailing. Right? That's, that's generally what it means. So you put more sail area up and you just get into it. Really good fun. Anyway, uh, it got a little bit more than that, and then it got a little bit more than that again, and the waves were absolutely massive, and the boat's going up and down like this, and then it's crashing over the front of the thing, and we were quite young kids, and we're all kind of hanging on the back of the boat, and it's tipping over like this and crashing like that, and we kind of got past a bit where this is really fun sail to, we might be going to die. And, uh, and so, uh, and of course, Dad, just, he's just totally calm, drops the headsail, drops the, uh, um, the jib, and uh, starts the engine, and just we, I don't know, all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a nice, safe, calm situation. <laughs> get me off the boat, I want to get back on dry land. But Dad, Dad just saved us. It was great, really easy, just calm and, and took care of it. Another situation, we, we're, we live, used to live in the bush, and uh, there's a bushfire coming up the, uh, the, the back of our house. And uh, there, are, there are spot fires starting to break out literally in our yard. Uh, everybody's got hoses and stuff out. So Dad goes, OK, kids, uh, we're going to put woolen clothing on you and uh, funnel out and put your shoes on, your leather shoes, and uh, we're going to give you buckets of water and, uh, and I'll get the hose and we'll put all the spot fires out around the house. OK, all right, Dad. And we did that and eventually uh, the fire engines put out the burning houses at the other and uh, we were fine. The, the point is, I've, when I've been in difficult situations, my dad 
just being calm and being able to solve the situation. And it's a great feeling when you go, Dad's in control and he's going to rescue us. There's a strong sense in which that's the heart of the bit of the Bible that we're looking at this morning. Dad's in control and he's going to fix things. So let's dive in and, uh, and catch up to speed. If uh, it's your first morning with us here this morning, you haven't been journeying through the book of Exodus with us, um, Matthew's uh, developed a great little outline for us that looks like this. Uh, you can grab one of those from the back table if you would like one. Uh, here's, here's the big events that have pretty much happened uh, so far. So God's people, the people of Egypt, have been the people of Egypt, the people of Israel, have been slaves in Egypt. They started out there sort of for a bit of a holiday, a bit of recreation, and they ended up growing such a big group of people that the Egyptians were afraid of them and turned them into slaves. So the, the Israelites were slaves. Uh, God met a man called Moses, and he said to him, you're going to save my people. You're going to be the one in charge. You're going to lead them out. Uh, God then got uh, pretty heavily involved, and uh, we've heard uh, about nine plagues that God brought on the Egyptians to basically make them give up and go, get out of our land, except it didn't work. So God needed one more plague, and uh, that was the one that Matthew brought us last week. And I've replicated Matthew's artwork here for you. Uh, so th- this ten, sorry, oh, it's a cloud. I, I thought it was a bagel. Uh, <laughs> that's really helpful. I thought it was the unleavened bread. You see, so I just going to put it down there with the sheep on the ground. So uh, thanks, Matthew. That's uh, that's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, so uh, basically, the tenth plague was that is that the uh, Egyptians would lose their firstborn. They would die. And God set a special provision for his people that if they killed a sheep in their house, upside down sheep in the picture here, and put the blood over the door frames, God would pass over his own people and destroy the Egyptians around them. At that point, the, uh, the Egyptians finally gave in and the Israelites went free. So the Israelites have walked free. Here's Pharaoh, uh, pretty much God in Egypt. And what's happened is that God has systematically worked through all the things that Pharaoh would trust in, Uh, his magicians, uh, the riches of his land. He's taken away his slaves. He's shown that his gods don't work. They've all fallen to the ground. So the last thing that's left for Pharaoh to still feel like he has some power after the Egyptians have gone out is his army. And so that is what Pharaoh turns to. He's sitting there at home, I assume, having just buried his son. And he's going, what have I done? These slaves have left my land. Who's going to build all the things that we need to build? Let's go and get them. And so Pharaoh turns to his army and employs his first strike weapon. Okay, This is an F-22 Raptor. Uh, it'll do 2,400 kilometres an hour. Costs $150 million. Uh, it's invisible to radar. It's the thing you use as a first strike weapon when you want to go and make war. Well, that's what Pharaoh picked up. He picked up his brand new F-22 chariot. <laughs> because that's basically what they were. Chariots were your first strike weapon um, in war. And if you had them, you were incredibly powerful. And so if you pick the right place to go to war and you've got these things, you're pretty much able to wipe out whoever else you're up against. 
So that's what Pharaoh did. He said, these guys have wandered away. I'm going to go and get them back, and I'm bringing the full force of my military might against them. In fact, I think it says he brought 600 of his best chariots. Pretty cool. You've got a garage with some lower-class ones there as well, but we'll bring out the 600 of the best ones. That's a lot of anything. You know, it's a lot of jelly snakes. It's a lot of chariots when they're coming out on the plane towards you. So at this point, the people of Israel are in distress. Serious distress. They're not, uh, they're not just, oh, this is an unfortunate quandary that we find ourselves in. Um, they are in absolute distress. Uh, and I've taken this picture from uh, the terrible conflict that's going on in Syria at the moment. Uh, it's to try and get us out of the Sunday morning casual, we know the end of the story, right? We know the end of the story. We know what happens. And so we think, oh, no one could have been too distressed, There is a fear for their lives that is shaking them to the core. They're not faith-filled at this point. They are terrified for their lives. And the better we grasp hold of that, the better we'll be able to understand the deliverance that God brings. Now, God hasn't abandoned them. Uh, One of the things that we see is that God is present with his people. Now, I'm a Wollongong boy. Well, for the last six years before I came here, I was a Wollongong boy. And it's amazing, you become a Wollongong person in that period of time. One of the things that makes me a Wollongong boy is that I love the steelworks. Now, I don't think you... There'd be be very few people here who would have a a warm and fuzzy relationship with uh, the steelworks in Wollongong. But if you're there, night after night, there's a towering pillar of flame in Wollongong. And literally, almost wherever you are in the gong, you can know someone's making steel tonight. Isn't that wonderful? And there's just this sense that everything must be right in the world because there's this towering pillar of flame that comes out of the top of the steelworks. It's quite comforting. Although, I think my wife did say, at times it looks a bit like Mordor. <laughs> okay, there's that as well, perhaps. But uh, I choose to read it in a comforting way. Uh, during the day, this, this is a shot I, I, uh, I took one morning um, as the sun was coming up. When they extinguish the flame, they release all this steam and everything, and it just comes up like this amazing pillar of cloud. Now, that, that's my experience with the steelworks. God's people in this book here in Exodus experience God's presence with them as a pillar of cloud by day, and as a pillar of fire by night. That wasn't just steel production is happening in my town. That was the living God is in our presence. He has not departed and we can see his presence with us. That's pretty encouraging as people are in fear of their lives. So here's Pharaoh. What's he thinking? You'll, you'll seen this slide before. I think this is what Pharaoh continues to think. I am God in Egypt. And my slaves have gone out, but I'm going to take on this God, the Lord. I'm going to take on Yahweh. Get in the ring, God. I've got one final punch coming, and I've got 600 chariots, so guess who's going to win? Your men and women and children and cattle, all carrying uh, rakes and spades. They're not going to be very much of a match for the uh, F-22 chariots that I've got coming out for them. So God, we're back in the ring. But that's not what God says is going on. God says, no, 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 no. The living God, I am the living God and I want to speak to one of my creatures. 
I want to speak to you, Pharaoh. I've still got a message for you to hear. Matthew introduced us to this idea here of the God box, and I love it. The idea is that each of us has in our heads, in our hearts, a place that we put our ideas of God. And Pharaoh's been filling his up with lots of lessons, although I really don't think he's been paying too much attention. God wants to put one final thing in Pharaoh's God box to help him to understand who the true and living God is. So let's see what he wanted to have happen. If you've got your Bible there, uh, you can open it up. Uh, We're going to have a look at uh, chapter 14, Exodus 14. And I want to look with you at verses uh, 3 and 4. And we'll see what God's saying. This is God, the living God, laying out his plan for communication. Oh, by the way, if you have a look at a map of where the promised land is that that the Israelites were supposed to go to, and uh, you've got it here, uh, Matt's Matt's map, Uh, you can see this is the place they're going to, the promised land up here. They're in Egypt. If you wanted to go to the promised land, you would go like that. But God takes his people down here and then down here. And you can kind of go... What's that? Was God lacking a GPS? You know? Did God just get a little bit confused? And the answer is God was doing something very gracious and merciful to his people so that they wouldn't freak out and be annihilated by a very powerful enemy that was living in the land of Canaan at that time. Have a look with me at verses 3 and 4. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he'll pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. It's a pretty awesome act of obedience, really, on Moses' behalf. Actually, we're just going to turn around, and we're going to head down this way here, and then we're going to go up here, and we're going to end up here. Because I reckon a bunch of people would have been going, hey, hey, have you seen this Moses character? Sure, sure, he's taking us out of the promised land, but where the heck is he taking us? I don't think it was just Pharaoh who was going... The Israelites are wandering around. So God says the reason, though, is that he's got one last message he wants to communicate to Pharaoh. And it happens. Pharaoh and his army get the message. Have a look with me at them getting the message in verse 25. Verse 25. I'll read from verse 24. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of cloud at the Egyptian army and threw them into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. They got the message. God, the living God, Yahweh, is in charge and he is fighting on Israel's behalf. God had a communication agenda? A tick. The army and Pharaoh had got it. Well, that's great. Well done, God. You've communicated with the, uh, with the Egyptians. Did you have a message for your own people, the people that you were saving? I'm going to suggest he did. He had at least three things that he wanted to communicate to his own people. Have a look at 15, uh, 2 to 3. It kind of sums up. Uh, this is after uh, the reading that Annabelle brought us. Um, and Moses and the Israelites sing a song. And it uh, says this in verse, uh, verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. 
the Lord is his name. Well, that's pretty cool. It's pretty great. Uh, The people didn't know God in the way that we did today. They were filling up their God box. They were learning things about God's character. And so here, they're discovering something pretty amazing. And we kind of go, boring. God saves. Of course he does. Isn't that like his middle name or something? But here's the amazing thing. They didn't know that. They didn't know that God saved before this. That's pretty remarkable. So the first thing that God's putting in their God box is, I am the God who saves. Fantastic. Second thing. Uh, have a look at uh, 13 and 14. Verse 13 and 14 of chapter 14. The Lord answered, uh, uh, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. So, so the people are freaking out. And here's Moses. Here's what Moses says. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You need only to be still. Tell you what I would have been doing. A bit of Braveheart action. Let's get some big long spikes. Uh, in, do you remember this scene? You know, with the cavalry's charging at them. And they lay the spikes down and hold, hold. And you don't obviously haven't seen it. No, it's very good. Okay, anyway. And then they lift them up and the charging cavalry goes down. No? Yes? Good. Okay, I'll see a couple of hands. Yes, thank you. Very good. Okay, well, that, that's what I would have been doing. But here's the encouragement from God. Moses says, here's the word for you. In the face of charging chariots, your job is to be still. Really? What, what are we contributing to the battle? I mean, I can sharpen up my spade now, and I'll get in the battle with a rake. I'll chop the horns off my cow and start poking them at people. I don't know. I, I want to do something. I want to contribute something. And Moses says, no, don't be afraid. You need to be still. And here's what they learn. Something that we must learn about how God rescues. We learn God's grace. God's grace. Well, what's his grace? What, it, what does that mean? Isn't grace the prayer you say before you have a meal? Yeah. Now, it, it may be what that's called, but that's not what this is. Grace is God's free gift. The fact that he saves without your effort. God does the saving. You do the receiving. A bit like Father's Day. Fathers don't do very much. And on Father's Day, we get given gifts. That's, that's grace, isn't it? That's, no, that's not true. Uh, so that's the reason there's a, there's a ribbon up there, a bow. God's grace, God's gift to his people was, I will save you. Not your effort. My effort on your behalf. So first thing is they learn God rescues. Second thing they learn is it's by God's grace. Here's the third thing. I don't know if you've thought about this very much. There's lots of scripture up here. I'm just going to read it for you. It's taken from bits through our reading. Okay? The Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and it turned into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry land, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Second little bit comes from chapter 15, verse 5. The deep waters have covered over them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Then from 15.8, by the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. Why do I want to read you all that stuff? Well, here's the thing. The Israelites had their back to the sea. They had the army approaching before them. 
They were ready to get wiped out. And God made a way through the sea. And you go, yeah, 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 yeah. We've, we've been singing about this for ages. We, we know all about it. I just, I want, I want you to engage with the idea today that he is the God of the impossible rescue. The God of the impossible rescue. The waters parted. They went through on dry ground. It was miraculous. Now that's simple, and you're familiar with it, but guess what? The Israelites had never seen it before, and they thought it was pretty incredible. They were delighted in the fact that God is the God of the impossible, because they were freaking out beforehand. God is the God of the impossible. So what were they to do? God saved them. Well done, God. He'd revealed himself to the Egyptians. He'd revealed himself to his people. What were they to do? His people. Well, the first thing they would do, two things, I reckon. First thing they were to do is for time immemorial, they were to remember his power. Remember the power of the God who does the impossible. Have a look with me at verses uh, 29 to 31 of chapter 14. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. Notice it's dry. That's pretty cool. Because I would have thought it would have been pretty wet. You with me? Because where's it been hanging out? Been hanging out at the bottom of the sea. It's generally pretty wet down there. Anyway, they went through on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw uh, the Israelites saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses His servant. So, what's the idea? God is incredibly powerful. You're supposed to note that. You're supposed to see his power is used for salvation. You're supposed to rejoice in that. that little side note, do you know who wrote Exodus? Moses. Do you reckon after the wandering around, everyone was very pleased with Moses? Do you reckon when they had their backs to the, uh, to the water, with the uh, chariots coming, they were very pleased with Moses? Do you reckon when the sea opened up as Pharaoh held his hand and they walked through on dry land and got out the other side and then saw the sea close over, they were very pleased with Moses? I think they were a little bit excited. Just know, just know there's a little bit at the bottom here. The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. That's brilliant. And notice a little bit after that. And in his servant Moses. Yeah. That's very helpful for my job description of being your leader. It's really nice that you're actually able to put your trust in me as well. So that's good. So, uh, so the, the Israelites were to remember God's power. And it happened that it was very helpful for helping them trust in Moses as well. Uh, the, the second thing they were to do was to remember his story. <coughs> remember this story above all stories. This story of deliverance through the sea. Does anyone know what that is up there? Can anyone <laughs> No? Some of you young guys might not remember this. But, uh, so, so this is a disc. and uh, it's, still, it's funny, isn't it? Not until just recently that used to be the save icon, didn't it? For almost everything. You click a little disc like that, even though no one's seen one for years and years. Somehow we know that's the thing that saves things. So save this story. Put it on a floppy disc um, and keep it handy. Uh, here's what Moses did. Have a look at me at 15.1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. For he is highly exalted, both the horse and the driver he has hurled into the sea. Now, I can't turn that into a song for you, I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, with a bit of a bagpipe or something, we could get into it, I'm sure. It'd be great. Um, here's the thing. 
They just got saved, and what does Moses do? This is so good. You've got to sing it. You've got to sing it. I want you to remember this forever. So I'm going to give you a catchy tune, and we're just going to keep singing the horse and the driver. He's thrown into the seat, whatever it goes. I don't know how it goes. But the idea was they were to turn it over and over and over and over. Sing it to your kids. As you're ploughing with your oxen, sing the song. Sing the song. You are to remember this great day of deliverance. God has rescued his people. Remember this story. And they did. In fact, throughout the whole Old Testament, I won't read to you every instance, but I just wanted to show you some instances. Again and again and again and again, people pick up this theme. God is the one who brought us through on dry land. God is the one who defeated the Egyptians. God saved his people. And it's kind of like a refrain for the people of Israel in the Old Testament. God saved us. If he took us through the sea on dry land, think of what he could do for us. God saved us. And so they did. They remembered. Well, how does the New Testament pick this up? What does the New Testament do with this idea of salvation through the sea? Uh, In 1 Corinthians 10, uh, it says this. uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verses 1 to 4. So 1 Corinthians, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Corinth. And here's what he writes to them. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the same spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Now, okay, lots of that we're just going to Hang on, hang on. What's going on here? I want to lay it out for you. Here's basically what it looks like. There's five things in this original story. Slavery. In the Old Testament, the people are slaves to Pharaoh. The saviour is a guy called Moses. You might have heard of him. They are saved through water, which is the Red Sea. Their goal is to get to the promised land. Their guide is a pillar of cloud. That's the Old Testament story. Here's the New Testament as we lay it out. In the New Testament, we're told that we are slaves too. Not in Egypt, but to sin. You and I have been slaves to sin. I've got a pirate flag up there because I think that's my best representation. It's us hoisting a flag up the pole that says, God, back off. You may be king, but I'm running life my own way. That's our sin. We're in slavery to sin. The saviour, of course, in the New Testament, the Sunday school answer is... Okay, if you don't know that, this is helpful for you. Uh, in Sunday school, if you don't know the answer, the answer is always... Jesus. Oh, no, a, bit more, a bit more confidence. The answer is... Jesus. Very good, that's right. So you're right. Yes, Jesus is the saviour in the New Testament, which is great. Uh, the water in the New Testament... You hear that word baptism there? In the New Testament, you trust in Jesus and you pass through the water. The waters of baptism. We're saved from slavery by our Saviour Moses and we passed through the waters of baptism. Incidentally, we're having a great chat in our group on uh, Tuesday night at Jesus for the Curious group. And and I was just saying, hey, we do baptism here. And uh, and if there are any adults, we would love to dunk you in a big pool. And uh, one of them said, oh, pick me first. I said, well, that's great, we'll do that. So uh, you can stay tuned. We'll we'll look forward to uh, dunking someone in a pool in Oran Park. 
And so there's the parallel, water there. The goal in our case is we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that Matthew spoke of. And the guide, the guide is not a pillar of cloud, unfortunately. Uh, we have this wonderful word from God, the Bible, where we'll hear our God lead and guide us, which is fantastic. Although I still like clouds. They're pretty awesome. So here's a challenge for us. That, that's a whole lot of information about the Old Testament, a little bit about the New. I want us to think for a moment, what happens when our backs are against the wall? What happens when everything is not right in your world? And not just a missed the train or you spill some paint on the ground, but when stuff really, you're really up against the wall. How do we choose to respond? I want to suggest that there are, there are at least two ways we can respond. I've called this mumble mode. And uh, mumble mode is... We find ourselves in great distress and our response is, if only we hadn't. If only I didn't. It would have been so much better if I hadn't. And we imagine a preferred situation that wasn't what we intended to do. We've made good choices to come here and now we find that we've got a total disaster. And we go, if only I hadn't made that decision. If only I could take that back. It was much better before I... Have you done that thinking? Have a listen to the Israelites and, and, and hear what they said. This just beggars belief. In, uh, in 14, Exodus 14, 10 and 12, here's what they said. Now, it's important for you to realise that they were slaves in Egypt. And it was terrible. But here's what they say when faced with annihilation. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians mar- marching after him. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die in the desert? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the the Egyptians than die in the desert. They're overwhelmed by their disaster. And they invent a preferred reality. That was different than the actual situation. No one wanted to go home. They spent 400 years crying out to God for salvation from their slavery, but faced in a day of distress, they turned irrationally back to their old way of life and wished themselves slaves again. I would say to each one of you who've been saved, who've had that salvation in Jesus, there might come days when you wish as you're facing difficulties as a Christian. Gee, I wish I could go back to before I knew Jesus. It was much better then. I could do what I wanted. I didn't have to do any of this living for Jesus. I didn't have to make these hard decisions. I didn't have to count the cost with my family. I didn't have to count the cost with my friends. If only I could go back to before. Well, you know, in your saner moments, that's a ridiculous decision. You would never wish yourself back there in your saner moments. But sometimes when everything hits the wall, we turn into mumble mode and we think to ourselves, if only I was back, back in slavery to my sin. Can I encourage you, keep a clear head as everything hits the fan and remember, you don't want to go back to Egypt. Here's the second response. And that was mumble mode. I've called this Moses mode. I've got this old picture of this guy up here because Moses was at least 80 when he started doing all this and it's important for us to remember it. He, he was old and crusty. Oh, no. That's wrong, isn't it, guys? He was young and sprightly. 
Thank you. It's important. No, thank you. That's my mistake. My mistake. Uh, just digging with my sharpened spoke. Uh, here's what the young and sprightly Moses said. Have a listen to verses 13 and 14. You heard them before. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight with you, fight for you. You need only be still. What did Moses know? He knew the plagues. He knew a cool trick with I put my hand in my jacket and it comes out leprous and I put it back and it's good again. He knew I could throw my staff on the ground and it would turn into a snake. And here he is faced with Pharaoh's army and his decision is, it's going to be okay. I do not know how we'll be saved today. But I choose to trust the Lord. I choose to stand firm today and trust the Lord. On the basis of what I've seen before, I will stand firm today. I will stand firm today. And I would say to each one of you here who's trusted in Jesus, you have seen the Lord being faithful before. So in the day of distress, don't doubt. Call to mind his faithfulness. And if you're here today and you've never called on the name of the Lord, we want to encourage you, he will be faithful. Trust in him and find him faithful in your day of distress. The the third thing uh, is what I've called Miriam mode. Mumble mode, Moses mode, Miriam mode. What do you do once you've actually been saved? What do you do afterwards? You go, oh, that was lucky. Like an east wind came up. How convenient. It happened to be dry on the bottom of the ocean. We walked through on dry land, and then the wind stopped and drowned their enemies. Oh, well, there's a wind change. There's always a wind change, isn't there? All right, next, what's next? Anyone got any supper? Is that the response? It can't possibly be our response. And so Miriam uh, shows us, if you've been saved, if you've had God do good things, here's what we should do. I think it's fantastic. Um, in, uh, in uh, where is it? It's not, it's not in that place. Um, <laughs> It's in 15 and uh, uh, it's towards the end here somewhere. Miriam is somewhere. Anyway, here's what she said. 1521. Ah, yes, it's not, not 1421. Up uh, Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand. Uh, Salvation Army? Tambourine. Took a timbrel in her hand and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both the horse and the driver, he is hurled into the sea. What's the response? If you've been saved, if God's been good to you, don't just bottle it up or put it down to good luck. Sing praise to God and exalt him. Get into Miriam mode if God's delivered you. So I want to encourage you today, if you're facing that sort of difficulty, don't, don't end up in mumble mode. Ask God to give you grace to be in Moses mode. And if he's delivered you, if you know of his salvation, can I encourage you? Get into Miriam mode and sing some songs. Give praise to God. It's right to honour him. Well, today I started off with some stories of my dad saving us in various situations. I want to tell you today, as God's people who've heard this today, today, this is the story of our dad fixing things. Our dad, the Heavenly Father fixing things. And I'd love you to remember that story and tell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful story of your deliverance. I pray we wouldn't take it for granted, but we'd stand in awe at what you've done. 
Father, for those of us sitting here today facing things that seem overwhelming, help us to remember that you're the God of the impossible. Help us to call out to you. Help us to look for your grace to rejoice and give thanks when you save us. And Father, for those here today who have never called on your name, I pray, Father, we might be filling up our God box with more information about you, the true and living God. We give you thanks that you fix things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Hopefully in your um, chair you have that Terra Connect card. Uh, I'll show you what that looks like. <coughs> uh, if you haven't seen this before, I'll tell you what that's about. Basically it's a chance for you to communicate with uh, Stuart and myself. Uh,